Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. 69.7. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee. And I'm Alexandra Greenlee. 
We're from the National Prayer Chapel, and we're praying for revival in your heart as you listen today. We're asking Jesus to give you a new understanding and a new passion to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some of you have been resisting Jesus for many years and you think you can just live out your life having your little Christian piety but not really surrendering to Jesus. So we're going to share with you today some pretty radical stuff from Catherine Booth. Who was Catherine Booth? Well, the wife and co-pastor with William Booth. Let me share some history. Soon after beginning his ministerial career, uh, career in England in 1852, William Booth abandoned the concept of the traditional church pulpit in favor of taking the gospel of Jesus directly to the people. Walking the streets of London, he preached to the poor, the homeless, the hungry, and the destitute. When fellow clergymen disagreed with Booth's unconventional approach, he and his wife Catherine withdrew from the church to train evangelists throughout England. The couple returned to the east end of London in 1865, where many followers joined their fight for the souls of lost men and women. Within 10 years, their organization, operating under the name The Christian Mission, had 1,000 volunteers and evangelists. Thieves, prostitutes, gamblers, drunkards were among their first converts to Christianity. And soon those converts were also preaching and singing in the streets as living testimonies to the power of God. When William Booth read a printer's proof of the 18. 78 Christian Mission Annual Report, he noticed the statement, the Christian Mission is a voluntary army. Crossing out the words voluntary army, he penned in Salvation Army. From those words came the basis of the foundation deed of the Salvation Army. From that point onward, converts became soldiers of Christ, and were known then and now as Salvationists. They launched an offensive throughout the British Isles that, in spite of violence and persecution, converted more than 250,000 Christians between 1881 and 1885. Their message spread rapidly, gaining a foothold in America Canada, Australia, France, Switzerland, India, South Africa, Iceland, and Germany. Today, the Salvation Army is active in virtually every corner of the world and serves in over 100 countries, offering the message of God's healing and hope to all those in need. We want to share with you a sermon given by Catherine Booth. And I have to just add one brief note. I love the work of the Salvation Army. But Catherine Booth died before William Booth. 
and after her death he was influenced by men who did not really understand the work of the gospel and so it became an NGO it became focused on just the social change Catherine Booth was the one who kept William Booth on the straight and narrow path of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, leaving all sin, being washed in the blood. They did not believe in sinning Christians. And just a side note, they were a part of that wonderful tree of life flowing through the Methodist church. Now, let's turn and let's share with you a message entitled Filled with the Spirit. Before we do, please, let's pray. Lord, as this congregation listens to this sermon, I ask that you would bring deep conviction to their hearts. I ask, Lord, that men and women would wake up to the lie of the sinning Christian and the worldly Christian and would beseech you to be filled with the Holy Spirit in the full baptism of Pentecost. Lord, thank you. We praise and honor your name today. And we ask your blessing on each who would listen. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Yes, so we're reading from Catherine Booth's sermon, Filled with the Spirit. It's from a larger work called Papers on Aggressive Christianity. And as Pastor Ray shared, William and Catherine Booth were both strong holiness preachers. They had an experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit after they'd already been Christians for some time and were sensing their great need for empowerment for ministry, even though they had already been attempting ministry. And after they began the Salvation Army, they held weekly meetings strictly for the purpose of continued outpourings of the Holy Spirit for the men and women who volunteered as part of the Salvation Army. So they actually had barracks. They modeled it like an army. William Booth was called General Booth. And so people would enroll in the Salvation Army as if they were enrolling in an actual army. And they lived together. They slept in the barracks. They had these continued meetings because what they were doing is they were going out into the worst parts of the city. And they were literally pulling alcoholics out of bars. I mean, just people like lying in the street. They would go out in the rain, they'd go out at night, and they would play music on the streets and then bring people to the meetings. And it was the power of the Holy Spirit was what allowed them to keep up this really rigorous, difficult lifestyle of winning the lost. Oftentimes they would be arrested. You know, you had young women in the paddy wagon going to jail for the night because they'd be hanging out with the prostitutes converting them so they recognized that the holy spirit was needed if they were going to sustain this kind of evangelism so i'll begin reading she uses two texts the first is acts 1 4 and being assembled together with them commanded them that they should not depart from jerusalem but wait for the promise of the father and then ephesians 5 18 
be filled with the Spirit. This exhortation to be filled with the Spirit is given broadly to all believers. There are not merely a privileged few who are called to be thus filled with the Spirit, to be, as it were, the leaders of the rest, and others were to abide and must abide on a lower platform of Christian experience. God forbid that I should insinuate anything of the kind, because I do not believe it. This injunction to be filled with the Spirit is given to all believers everywhere and in all times, and it is much the privilege of the youngest and weakest believer here to be filled with the Spirit as it is of the most advanced, if the believer will comply with the conditions and conform to the injunctions of the Savior on which he has promised this gift. So you could have been born again yesterday, and you can still be filled with the Spirit today. I do not find two standards of Christian experience anywhere in the scriptures. I do not believe God ever intended there should be a lower life and a higher life. I am afraid that those people who rest in the lower life will find themselves awfully mistaken at last, that is, at the judgment. I believe that religion is all or nothing. God is either first or he is nowhere with us individually. The essence and core of religion is God first and allegiance and obedience to him first. If I cannot keep my father and mother and be faithful to God, then I must forsake my father and mother. If I cannot keep my husband or wife and be faithful to him, then I must forsake husband or wife. If I cannot keep my children and be faithful to God, then Jesus Christ says, forsake them. And if I cannot keep my houses and lands and be faithful to him, then I must forsake them. If I cannot keep my business and be faithful to God, then I must sacrifice my business. If I cannot keep my health and be faithful to God, then I must sacrifice my health. And last of all, if I cannot keep my life and be faithful to God, then I must be prepared to lose it and lay my neck on the block if need be. That is my religion, and I do not know any other. I do not believe any other will stand on the right hand of the throne, and if that be so, why, all other sorts must stand on the left. If this be not true, I am utterly and thoroughly mistaken in the first principles of Christianity, and I will come and sit down at anybody's feet who can convince me that I am wrong. So please do not attach the idea to me that I think that any person can sit down, providing he has light or opportunities of getting light, without embracing this higher life religion and then get into heaven in this shame-faced sneaking way. No, no. God will have you or he will not have you. He will know you or will say, depart from me, I know you not. The Lord help every one of you. Let's stop for a moment. This is aggressive Christianity. How many do we know who say they don't have time to read the scripture and they don't have time to pray and they don't have time to minister and they don't have time to attend the meetings they don't have time to come to the prayer meetings. Why? Because they're trying to survive with their job. But their job will never provide 
a road to heaven. Your job will not take you to heaven. Your company will not take you to heaven. Your social life will not take you to heaven. So let's break it down and be very, very plain and simple. Either Jesus is first and everything to you, or he is nothing to you. You can have all sorts of religious rituals and pieties and experiences and God speaking to you. But if Jesus is not first and foremost in your life, you are listening to a false Jesus. Jesus does not compromise with us on these issues. So if you're going to church once a week, and you're filling the rest of your life with all of your wonderful stuff, you're a backslidden Christian, or you're no Christian at all. If you're not attending a prayer meeting every week, and perhaps even several nights a week, if you're not going out and witnessing and sharing the gospel, if you've not won a soul in the last year to Jesus, it's either because you don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit because you refuse to meet the conditions. But more likely, it's because you are backslidden and you are not really a Christian. You see, being a Christian is not having an experience with Jesus. I can have an experience with a roller coaster. I can have an experience with an animal. That's not that's not what saves you. You don't need just an experience with Jesus. You have to go all the way with Jesus. Utterly given to him. Yes, and I think Catherine Booth expresses that very practically in what I just shared when she says, if I cannot keep my father and mother and be faithful to God, I must forsake my father and mother. This sounds very radical and uncomfortable, but this these are the conditions of following God. Now, when we have truly forsaken everything and followed Jesus, we come to this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And this Pentecost is offered to all believers. It comes or it would come in the experience of every believer if he or she would have it. God wants you to have it. God calls you to it. Jesus Christ bought it for you, and you may have it and live in its power as much as these apostles did, if you are willing, every one of you. My dear friends, you may have it, be filled with it, and no one but God knows what he would do with you and what he would make of you if you were thus filled, for the experience of Peter shows you how utterly different a man is before he gets a Pentecostal baptism and after he gets it. The man who could not stand the questionings of a servant maid before he got this power dared to be crucified after he got it. I may just say that hero is the great cause of the decline of so many who begin well. There is no more common lament on the lips of really spiritual teachers everywhere than this, that so many begin well. You did run well, we might truly say of thousands in this country today. You did run well. 
They begin in the spirit, and then, as the apostle says, they go on to be made perfect by the flesh. How is this? Why is this happening? Because the spirit puts before every soul this walk of full consecration and wholehearted devotedness to God. And instead of being obedient to the heavenly vision, the soul shrinks back and says, That is too much. That is too close. That is too great a sacrifice. And they decline. And instead of giving up a profession of faith and going back into the world, there would be ten times more hope of them if they did that, they cling on to the profession of faith and kindle a fire of their own and walk in the sparks they have kindled. But God says he is against them and they shall lie down in sorrow. There is a great deal of this, of people who have been born again, who came to Jesus with the light they had, maybe just knowing they needed God, maybe just knowing they needed forgiveness. But then when they got more light on the requirements of the gospel, of truly laying down your life for the Great Commission, they shrank back. And there is a great likelihood that you are one of these people. Somehow... And I don't understand this. Somehow, being a part of the great gospel commission has been disconnected from walking as a Christian. So that the gospel commission is to be fulfilled by a select few people while everyone else enjoys all of the pleasures of the world while they continue to call themselves by profession a Christian, a follower of Jesus. But in fact, they're not following Jesus. This is troublesome to me. Yes. Catherine Booth says about this, that this happens because people feel that they have to have a God and religion. And so they will have God. And when they shrink from the true one and won't follow the divine counsel, they make a God for themselves. And a great many of them go to sleep and never wake up again. They go out of the world comfortably, under the influence of narcotics. I was with a woman who died on morphine, and I thought that is the worst way I could possibly die, to be drugged out of my mind for the last week of my life. But many people are dying like that today. They go under the influence of narcotics, and they never wake up. They die deceived. Or if they do wake up, we know what sort of an awakening it is and what sort of deathbed they have. The Salvation Army people, the fishermen, the young women who are sent to pray for those people when they get awakened, have witnessed horrible scenes. To see it, to see that, see that you get awake and keep awake and be willing to follow the Spirit's teaching in everything at all costs and sacrifices because it's your soul that is at stake here. So let's take a moment and look at how the men and women in the upper room actually waited. Jesus said, tarry at Jerusalem till you be endued with power. Note that this is not truth. They didn't need to be endued with truth. They already had truth. They needed something besides truth. The Apostle Paul says his gospel and his preaching were not merely in word, but in power and in the demonstration of the Spirit. What would be the very first 
thing that would strike you that these disciples would be thinking of as they made their way back from all of it, having taken leave of their now glorified master. Back again to the upper room at Jerusalem. Imagine what their state of mind would be. How would they wait for this promise? I think the first feeling would be that of deep self-abasement as they thought of the past. Now that the full glory of Jesus' divinity and the divinity of his mission had burst upon them, as they thought of their three years' journey with him and of all their darkness and blindness of heart and all they had lost, all that they might have known, all he would have revealed to them if they would have received it, as the thought of it all burst upon them, just as next day when you find out who a person was or some particular circumstance respecting a person that you did not fully understand at the time, and when the person is God, gone and it all breaks upon you, you say, what a fool I was. And I think these apostles would say, indeed, as Jesus said, O oh, fools, and so of s slow of heart to believe. So in other words, the first thing they would have noticed is that they hadn't truly apprehended who Jesus was during their three years with him. And when they now saw who he was, they reflected back on those years they had spent with him. And they're saying, I was so foolish. There was so much I could have asked Jesus. There was so much I could have received from Jesus. But I was just too foolish to even understand who he was. So I missed that opportunity. Well, they were cured of this in the upper room. I want to stop you just a minute. Yesterday, I was speaking with a man. And he was explaining to me some of the misery of his life. And I said, well, you know, there is a heaven and there is a hell. He said, oh, yes. And I'm on my way to heaven. And I said, are you? Are you sure you're on your way? Oh, yes, I'm on my way to heaven. Anyone who believes in heaven is going to go to heaven. Well, I said, you've not met the conditions for going to heaven. You're living with a woman who is not your wife. You're deep into alcohol. You walk in all manner of sin. And he said, that doesn't matter because I love Jesus. And I'm on my way to heaven. Well, this dear man, when he wakes up in hell, what's he going to think? He's in trouble. And you know what? Many of you listening to this broadcast today are in just that same kind of trouble. Well, it may not be that sin. It may not be that idol. But you're in the same kind of trouble. And I'm praying you will wake up today and begin to apprehend what God wants to do for you. Yes, and Jesus said very simply, he that loves his life will lose it, and he that hates his life for my sake will find it in life eternal. So you can say, well, I'm not walking in any major sin. I, you know, I'm not out going to the strip clubs. You know, I live a decent life. But what Jesus is saying is you have to give up your life for him. And so if you've just been unwilling to actually pay the price of 
you're probably honestly going to end up losing a lot of your family and friends and possibly career if you are going to devote your life to the Great Commission. And if you've been unwilling to do that, you have been unwilling to actually lose your life for Jesus. So let's continue with what the apostles were going through as they waited in the upper room. So first we know that Peter was cured of self-sufficiency and pride. Think about it. Can you not see them assembled in the upper room? Imagine Peter with his impulsive nature, and it's a glorious thing to have an impulsive nature when it is impulsive for good, to be zealously affected always in a good cause. Imagine impulsive Peter throwing himself on his face before his risen master in deepest humiliation and broken heartedness for his base ingratitude in having denied him. And how do you think Thomas and all of them would feel as they remembered the scene in the garden and how they all in the hour of Jesus's agony forsook him and fled? How would they all feel? They would feel indeed unholy, untrue, cowards, and would go down over and over again on their faces to wait before God in deep self-abasement. And now, friends, this is the very first and indispensable condition of receiving the Holy Ghost. You must first realize your past impurity, unholiness, disobedience, and ingratitude. You must not be afraid to know the worst of yourselves. You must look back at the time when your hand has been with Jesus on the table, and yet you have virtually betrayed him. You must look at your unfaithfulness and disobedience, at your shrinking from the cross, at your cleaving to the world, and if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you must be willing to know the worst of yourself, and tell the Lord the worst of yourself. You must say, Now, Lord, am I low enough? Now, Lord, am I down far enough in the dust for thee to come and lift me up? I hate myself. I loathe myself in dust and ashes, and I want thee to come and fill me with thy spirit. This is what it means to be emptied of self. When people are self-sufficient, God always leaves them alone to prove their self-sufficiency. When people think they can do it for themselves, God lets them fall down and see their weakness. We must realize our utter helplessness and weakness. We must be utterly lost in our own sight. Some of you, I think, have come to that, and others are not quite low enough. You must get down lower, my brother. God's way to exaltation is through the valley of humiliation. You must get lower, lower. You can never get too low in your own estimation in order to be filled with the Spirit of God. The disciples waited, secondly, in earnest appreciation of the importance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So this is the second condition. The first condition is to realize the worst of yourselves and humble yourself before God. The second condition is to wait in earnest appreciation of the importance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And these 120 had enough to make them wait. How do you think they felt when they got into the upper room? We are told that there were about 120 of them. How do you think they felt as they thought of the past 
remembered the crucifixion of their Lord, looked forward to the future, and contemplated the work to which he had called them. And what was it? They were not to go and set up an idol of Jesus Christ alongside of other idols in the temples of heathen gods, but they were to go into the city of Jerusalem, where they had just crucified Jesus between two thieves, and proclaim him as the long-expected Messiah of the Jews. It was to begin to set up the royal spiritual kingdom in contradistinction to their temporal and earthly kingdom, and then to go out from Jerusalem and subjugate the world to the sway of Jesus Christ. How would these 120 feel? Poor Peter and Thomas and John and Mary and the rest of the women, how would they feel? They would feel we might as well stop and die here rather than go out as we are until we get the equipment of power. We need much more than we have. And there they waited and said, Lord, pour it out upon us. We are ready. We are helpless. We are powerless. We can do nothing. Thou knowest what thou hast called us to do, and thou hast promised this power to perform it. Now here we are. It is useless for us to begin until we get power. They appreciated the importance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. God never gave this gift to any human soul who had not come to the point that he would sell all he had to get it. It is the most precious gift he has to give in earth or in heaven, to be filled with the Spirit, which is to be filled with himself, taken possession of by God, moved, inspired, energized, empowered by God, by the great indwelling Spirit moving through all our faculties and energizing our entire being for him. That is the greatest and most glorious gift that God has. He is not likely to give it to people who do not highly appreciate it, and so highly that they are willing to forgo all other gifts for it. Everything else, creature love, creature comfort, ease, enjoyment, aggrandizement for this one thing. Have you come to that? Are you telling the Lord that you've come to that? Are you sincere? If you are really sincere in what some of you have written to us, then some of you have come to it. But oh, how people can deceive themselves. My heart has been awfully pained during this last week with one or two instances of this kind that have come to my notice. I have been half the week, I think, with Elijah under the juniper tree. I have cried, Lord, who hath believed our report? Who will thus take hold of God for this special and full salvation? Alas, how few! One draws back for one reason, another for another reason. One feels how far they come with us. You can hear the tread of their feet, and you can hear how they falter and draw back. None but those who travail for souls can ever understand the agony of feeling that souls are drawing back when you have brought them on the road so far. I have thought many a time of the Savior when so many who had been hearing him forsook him and fled. It was after he had been trying to lead them higher, even to real spiritual union with themselves. So what, Christ what Catherine Booth is saying here is that there are Christians who have gone a long way in the Christian walk, 
And yet when it really comes down to giving up everything and waiting for this Pentecost power, they begin to draw back. And that creates such a pain in the heart of Jesus. And it creates a pain in our hearts. There's people who we've known for years who are now presented with this calling and challenge of God, and they're drawing back. They're not willing to go all the way, to pay all the price, to suffer all the consequences. But if you want this blessing, I know no other way. Catherine Booth says, I had to come to this before I got it. The last idol of my soul had to be renounced, and it was hard work, as it always is, because we love idols. Idols would not be idols if they were not loved. But we have to lay our real Isaac, our beloved and only Isaac, upon the altar. It is hard work, but it has to be done, because God is a jealous God and will have no rivals. Do you so appreciate this blessing that you are willing to give up your Isaac? If so, you may have it this afternoon. He will fill you with his spirit. Third and lastly, the disciples waited in the upper room in obedient faith. How do we know? Because they did as Jesus bid them, and that is the evidence. Jesus said, go tarry in the city of Jerusalem. Peter might have said, when he had seen his Lord off to heaven, well, what am I going to do now? I've been a long time running after the Lord in Palestine. I must go back to fishing. I can wait as well on the sea beach as in Jerusalem. I wonder why the Lord told me to go to Jerusalem. I think it was rather unreasonable. He might have thought of my old father and mother at home. I think I shall go back to my fishing nets. No, no. They had been cured of their unbelief by the last few days' experience. They had learned better than to dictate to their master, and they knew he had a good purpose in sending them to Jerusalem. And so they went there and did as he bade them, straight. Back to the upper room they went. Mary might have said, I have been running around ministering to the Savior a long time. I'm afraid my friends will think I'm neglecting my duties at home and the claims of old friends. I really must go home and see to matters. I may as well wait there for the Holy Ghost, is it Jerusalem? No. Mary had learned better. She went back to Jerusalem. It is with disobedient faith that people are sent away empty. People are crying out about their faith, but it is disobedient faith. If the Lord has told you to wait in any particular place or way or company or time, and you disobey him, you will never get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you will have to come to those conditions at last, even if it is on your dying bed. Obedient faith. While there is a spark of insubordination or rebellion or dictation to God, you will never get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Truly submissive and obedient souls only enter the kingdom. Anywhere he tells you to go, anything he tells you to sacrifice or fly from, you will have to do. This is one of his choice gifts that he has reserved for his choice servants, those who serve him with all their hearts, obedient faith. But you say, how do you know it was faith? We know because they did as Jesus told them. Now faith is inseparable from expectation. 
Where there is real faith, there is always expectation. And when I hear people praying, as I often do, from their throats for the Holy Ghost, and see how they talk the minute they get up from their knees, and know how they live, and whom they associate with, and how they spend their time, I say, yes, you may pray until your dying day, but you will never get it. If they expected anything, they would wait for it. These people waited. How long? What a hue and cry there is now about the Salvation Army people spending whole nights in prayer. Christians, gray-headed Christians, up and down the country say to me, I don't know how you get the time. It must be an immensely long time. Do you really mean to say that you spend all night in prayer? I say yes, with just an interval for putting the truth and showing the people how to apply it to their own consciences. Then they say, it must seem like an awfully long time. I suppose it does to them to spend one whole night in prayer, but here we are told the disciples waited ten days until the day of Pentecost was fully come. I have no doubt they went as far into the night as they could keep themselves awake. They waited. They did not set the Lord a time. They were wiser. They did not say, now we will go and have a couple days of prayer. That will be a long time. We will just shut out all else and wait on the Lord for a couple of days, and if he does not come by that time, it will be outrageous to wait beyond it. Whoever heard of a prayer meeting two days and two nights long? No, they did not set the Lord a time. They went and waited until the baptism of the Holy Spirit came. You say, no, I don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's because you didn't wait until it came. You got hungry, or you fell asleep, or you hugged your idol. You did not wait until he came. Suppose the disciples had given up on the fifth day and said, there must be some mistake. God knows we're here already, and the world is perishing because they don't have our message. There must be some mistake. We had better get started. No. They waited on and on and on until he came. Can you imagine what sort of prayers went up from the upper room? Do you think they were the lazy, lackadaisical prayers that we hear every now and then for the Holy Spirit? Think of how Peter agonized and wrestled. How would Thomas plead? How would Mary weep, beseech, entreat? Think about how they were all of one heart and one accord. They wanted that one thing and they were there to get it. They cared for nothing else except the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They cried for it as hungry children cry for bread. They wanted it. Did the Lord ever disappoint anybody who waited like that? Can anybody say so here? Did you ever hear of such a case? Never. God came. Oh, but there are some people now who set God times in everything. They think a good deal more about their dinners than about him. They think a great deal more about spending time with their friends and doing the polite to them than they do about the precious, waiting, Holy Spirit of God. They think a great deal more about their businesses. Oh, they say, it is business and business must be attended to. But what about the Holy Ghost and the kingdom? Must not the kingdom of God be attended to? Must not your soul be saved, and must you not become a temple of the indwelling Spirit of God? Put a must in there, if you please. Far more important is the soul than the body. Friends, are these things so, or am I only imagining them? 
Are these great truths or are they fables? These are the most common sense, simple exhibitions and illustrations of these truths that could possibly be given. Was it not so? Did the disciples th not thus wait and did not the Holy Ghost come? And when he came, he sat upon each of them. Bless his name. People have a wonderful habit of losing sight of the little words of the Bible. The people who, people who make a great to-do about the word in other ways often say, I never saw that until you directed my attention to it. Suppose I were to say this afternoon that something happened to each person. Would you imagine I meant the men and not the women? Of course you would say I meant everyone. And so the Holy Spirit filled them all, the women as well as the men, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. He came, and, my friends, he still comes. My bodily senses have been quite cognizant of his coming sometimes. We only know that we feel something that so influences our bodies that we cannot describe it. In the north when I was there, we had an all night of prayer at which 1,000 people, admitted by ticket, waited all night on God. The meeting began at 10 and went on until 6 in the morning, and there were strong men in the middle of their lives, old men, men lying on their faces on the floor. There were doctors there who examined them and tried to account for it from physical causes, but they could not. It was the power of God that caused them to lie on the floor like that. The Holy Ghost does come, and because, in thus coming into our souls and thus filling us, he sometimes prostrates our bodies, people rebel, and they did on this occasion, and reject the manifestation and say, excitement, fanaticism. What right have you to say that the Holy Spirit coming into a human soul can operate upon that soul to the full extent without to some degree prostrating the body? We know how people fall under great emotions of anger, grief, and joy. Why? Because the influence of the mind has so affected the body that the body cannot bear it. And when the Holy Spirit of God comes into a human soul and opens its eyes and quickens its perceptions and enlarges its capacity and swells it with glory, is it an unlikely or improbable thing that the body should sometimes be prostrated under his power? What did Paul say? I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus, and I have been into the third heaven and heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful to utter. Do you think God intended such experiences and visions only for Paul and the apostles? There have been many since his day who have had such experiences, and many more of God's people might have them if they were willing but they are not willing to be wrapped in his arms. They are not willing to be pressed to his bosom. They are not willing to know him in the scriptural sense. They are not willing to be given up and consumed by his spirit. Their heart and flesh do not cry out after the living God as David's did. They are not panting after him as the heart after the water brooks. They are not longing to come and appear before God. If they were so longing that they could not live without it, then God would come and be revealed to them. Will you then wait in obedient faith? I have the most awful realization that you will be eternally better or worse for these broadcasts 
And so if you want to come up higher, I don't want you to go back and get cold and indifferent to these things because here is the hope of the world. If there is any hope for the world, it is in people getting filled with the Spirit, people getting so woke up to God and his glory and the interests of his kingdom that they should be just as anxious for souls as other people are for money. Filled with the Spirit, having eyes to see spiritual sights which others do not see, ears to hear the crying of the starving multitudes who are dying for lack of knowledge, hearts to feel so that they could go and weep over them, hands to break the bread of life, and if need be, a zeal that will lead them to die for them. This is what we need, and it only comes with the fullness of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Are you willing, my brother? Are you willing, my sister? If so, stop and take the time to wait on God. You have taken care of the outer man long enough. Now look after the inner man. Never mind the children. Never mind your friends. Never mind your parents. Just now, the Lord will take care of them. Never mind anything, you who are athirst but getting this blessed Holy Spirit of God, this full baptism of it in your souls. May the Lord help you. Amen. Amen. And so what is your decision today? What are you willing to do? Will you turn and take Jesus and fulfill the conditions? to be baptized by the Holy Spirit? Or will you continue to live your normal American life and think that because you have some, quote, experience, unquote, that somehow you're okay, but you have no souls to share with the kingdom. You have your life you have your money, you have your savings, you have you have what you want. Or do you want Jesus and the fullness of his baptism? So what is your decision today? Oh Lord, we're praying for revival. We're praying for revival in the hearts of the men and women listening to this broadcast that they would turn aside from the casual and the indifferent the lusts of their heart and they would seek you Jesus they would seek you with everything they are Lord please we're asking for the baptism of the spirit we're asking for the pouring out of your power to win the lost and the dying. Lord, we wait upon you. You said to me, wait upon the Lord and the Lord will carry you through. You said, rest in me. Lord, we wait. We wait humbly before you. Please come.
I know you will. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We're Pastor Ray Greenlee and Alexandra Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. You can listen to this message again at nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. I also encourage you to listen to the series that's featured, Can Revivals Be Prayed Down? We've been speaking a lot on this subject of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and revival. I hope and pray every day for you that you will be filled with the Spirit and that there will be revival everywhere that you go. Now, we'd love to hear from you. We are way, way short of having the resources to pay for the radio broadcast. And even more than that, or with that, we need to set up a whole new studio where we can produce the whole program right here in our studio at home. There's equipment that we need to buy. There's furniture we need to have provided to be able to extend this broadcast. So there are many needs. Will you help us? Is your cry for revival? Do you care about revival? If you do, would you write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That's the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can give online. Just click the donate button. Thank you for listening today. Thank you. We pray that your heart has been touched and quickened and that you will pray and wait on God. He will come. He will meet you. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley. And I'm Alexandra Greenley. God bless you. God bless you. We love you. We'll talk to you soon. Love is glory.